Blog Talk Radio. Citizens of Patriots Nation, this is the Pat Propaganda Podcast. It's football time, fellas. Let's get into it. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Past Propaganda and Friends Podcast. Friends, sorry, I cut your, I cut the friends out of there last year. We did one podcast without you, but uh, it's very exciting. Friends and I started podcasting in 2010, had a good streak of about three years until schedules made it impossible. But now here we are. Things are finally starting to come back together and, and maybe even permanently. So, friends, it's great to be back. I've missed talking Patriots with you. It's great to be back as well. This is my first time talking Patriots in a I don't I don't want to call it a professional setting because it's really not a professional setting because we were actually <laughs> just talking before we went on about how we just used to do this when we we started it. It was really just for fun, and then it kind of became my job, and that was part of what made it so difficult for us to do this. Also, just the fact that you live on the west coast and I live on the east coast, but. Now that you're moving back over here, I think the timing might also be good for us to to get back on the podcast train. So it'll be it'll be a good time for us to to pick it up. Yeah, well, of course, we always we only have a half hour, and as we always used to say, we spend usually spend most of the time talking about the defense. But since our days of <laughs> podcasting, first things first, we got to talk because friends, you wrote a whole book. You, you're an author now. I don't I didn't know. I was, I'm like, you're an author. <laughs> Bill Belichick versus the NFL. You wrote an article, or sorry, an article. You wrote an article. You wrote a book uh, about Bill <laughs> Belichick. And uh, so before we jump into the Patriots, um, you know, I, and, and it's, it's great if you guys are there, I'm going to put a link up to it on the site. If you haven't uh, checked it out, it's basically recaps Belichick's, you know, whole career with the Patriots. And, and, and my favorite part was, you know, kind of comparing him side by side to some of the greatest coaches of all time. And, 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 saying, you know, really making a strong case of why Belichick's the best. Uh, friends, what was the process with the book, and, uh, and and how did you how did you go about putting it all together? Yeah, well, it was, I mean, like you said, it's really just a comparison of Belichick and all the other head coaches throughout NFL history and making a case for why he's the best one ever. And uh, incidentally, I wrote it all in the run up to the 2016 season. So that that whole run and the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point, that's not even included in the book. So ever since I've ever since it's been published, I've had people coming up to me pretty regularly asking me when I'm going to write the addendum to the book and, and add that. But um, but really the process was, it was interesting because the, uh, the, the publishing company came to me and they asked me if I wanted to write the book. And this was apparently on the recommendation of Mike Reese. So that was a, a really huge one to start because, you know, obviously Mike is my freaking Patriots idol. And so for him to recommend me for the book was pretty huge. So uh, so that was a good start. And then obviously, you know, the, the process itself was a pretty long and, and grueling process. It was, you know, it was around time where I didn't really have a full-time job. And so I spent pretty much most of my waking hours in some way, shape, or form working on the book. I was writing a few columns a week at the time, like maybe five or six, but I wasn't really doing that much in terms of my uh, my journalism responsibilities. And so, you know, at that point, I was really focused on the book, and it was just a lot of research and a lot of writing. And if I wasn't writing every single day, I was falling behind. But, um, but it was really – I wrote it between the months of January and April of 2016, and once wow. I got it done, it was just it was it was just uh, it was a really huge weight off of the shoulders, and 
and then finally, obviously, got the book, or got the the page proofs back, and got to read it through and and check it for anything I wanted to fix or anything I wanted to change, and made a few changes, nothing too major, and pretty well received by most people who have talked to me about it. But um, but it's been it's just been a really interesting process just to like a- after the fact, even just talking to people about the process and hearing their thoughts on the book and, and, you know, it's, it's interesting too, because, you know, I'll have people from all walks and all base, all fan bases coming up to me and saying, you know, I don't want to admit it, but I, the premise of your book is dead on. Like, I mean, I, I love that people are, are willing to kind of put the, the capitulations aside about the Patriots and about the, about the, the cheating and the spy gate and the slate gate and whatever you want to throw out there. Um, and really just kind of come to grips with the fact that Belichick is the best head coach of all time. That's been a really uh, interesting response that I've seen from most people who have come back to me about it. That's awesome. Well, uh, again, if you guys check out the book, awesome stuff. I wish we could spend more time on it. Maybe in the future we'll do a whole podcast and kind of go through the whole thing, but I, <laughs> I don't know where else to start. My head is like spinning right now. I'm like, I feel like we need to start with like the Martellus Bennett edition. Like that's how long it's been since we've actually done a podcast, <laughs> but let's not get too crazy in case anybody missed it. The Patriots did win the Super Bowl this year. Um, and it was, uh, it was quite the comeback as we, uh, as we all noticed, but friends, let's, let's, let's just jump into the off season because the, the thing that keeps coming back to me is that, there's just no chill in Belichick. Like, I mean, they just like rest <laughs> on their laurels. Like it's like, I mean, I just have so many friends in the NFL who are like coming and being like, dude, what are they doing? Like they just want a Super Bowl. Why do you go get cooks and all this stuff? I mean, it's just been crazy. So, uh, and the thing that's the most fascinating to me is a lot of it's been trades. I mean, we even saw it yesterday in the draft where they're trading for a tight end from Kansas city. But I mean, the, the use of trades, the use of restricted free agent tenders, and, you know, they're just, they use every method possible to add players who can help their team. Um, and obviously this has been such an interesting offseason between, you know, getting cooks and what to do with Jimmy Garoppolo and Malcolm Butler and the Saints. Um, and we could probably spend three hours talking on it. I don't know how we're going to fit this all into 30 minutes, but I guess, I know, right? my question for you, what has, uh, you know, what, what has stood out most to you, this off season and, and, and how do you think it's going to play out in the coming season? pre retreat Yeah, I think we'll save the draft fire. I'm talking free agency and all that. Well, I think that the things that stood out to me are that, you know, they're like you kind of alluded to, they're partying like it's 2007. It's kind of crazy. They're loading up <laughs> like I've never seen before. It's, uh, and I mean, it kind of puts 2007 kind of pales in comparison when you, when you look at it really, um, I mean, obviously they got an all-timer in, in Randy Moss in 2007, so it's a little hard to compare in that respect. But, I mean, Brandon Cooks does have that kind of potential. And just from top to bottom, all their additions, you, you really can't – I mean, you can't really scratch your head at too many of them and wonder what they were thinking. I mean, it all kind of looks like it comes together in a big-picture kind of way. Um, they clearly wanted more speed on defense between the, the defensive ends that they've added and – the, and obviously adding Stephon Gilmore, um, adding the and the and the same can be said on offense. You know between Gillisley, uh, Brandon Cooks. You know you just go down the list of all the guys they've added, and it's pretty it's pretty clear they just want to get faster. And um, I think that's interesting because usually, and especially defensively, they want to get bigger. And the guys that they drafted and and even Stephon Gilmore are pretty big guys defensively, like for their size for their position. But 
I think those, I think that just the, the amount of athleticism they've added on both sides of the ball is really what stood out to me. Yeah, I think the plan all along, I mean, just to touch real quick on, uh, this is going to, I feel like we're going to go down a rabbit hole here, but with Malcolm <laughs> Butler, I mean, I feel like the plan all along, you know, was just like, look, we've, I mean, the, the Patriots had all the leverage. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say Malcolm Butler hasn't had two great years and probably outplayed his, you know, undrafted rookie contract. But at the same time, he got he, this restricted free agency first round tender that he got is, is a huge raise for him. So, you know, I, I know Mike Giardi's out there banging the table trying to get Malcolm Butler, you know, the biggest deal in cornerback history. But, you know, the plan when you look at it, of all right, well, we're going to give Gilmore, the actual free agent, the big contract. We're going to keep Butler for one more year under this manageable restricted free agency contract that is also a big raise for him. Uh, and then we're going to have two awesome corners, arguably, potentially better than Logan Ryan. I don't want to downplay Logan Ryan, who was, you know, an outstanding cornerback in the Patriots system, solid tackler, everything you could ask for in that system. Logan Ryan was. I don't know for sure that, you know, Gilmore is going to be that same guy. He's probably going to be a little bit different. Maybe he's better in some areas. Maybe he's not quite as solid in things like tackling and that. But when you look at Gilmore and Butler together and then, you know, you throw Rowe in the mix, I know they still got to figure out the slot. But, you know, that, that's, a, that's an amazing secondary. So, you know, rather than, oh, we're going to give Butler the huge contract, then we can't afford Gilmore. So now, you know, you, you're, you're, you're stuck short. So, I mean, really the best thing for the team to do all along was that, and then I'm going to make one quick point on Garoppolo so we can package these all together. I mean, I just don't know how you figure out what the compensation is for a quarterback you know can play in your system, you know can win in the NFL. I mean, how many first overall draft picks have been wasted trying to find that franchise quarterback? I mean, dozens of first yeah. first overall picks. So, you know, I can, it's, it's not surprising to me that they were like, we're not going to take anything unless it's a humongous buttload that's going to, you know, change our team for the next three years. And you know, they can still franchise him next year. They might lose a little bit of value and leverage because they'll have to unload him after franchising him. But, you know, if they did the same thing with Castle, they'll get some value from him. So I'm not really I, – I understand why they're keeping him. And with Brady at the age he is, yeah. he takes one hit. God help us. But, you know, it, for, the, for the long term and this, and, and this year, keeping Garoppolo, it's, it's a great safety net to have. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the – you know, this, this is what happened with Ryan Mallett, too. I mean, I think the, the feeling inside the organization is that they've seen enough of Jimmy Garoppolo to know what he is and to know what he's worth, whereas the rest of the NFL hasn't. I mean, they've only seen the two-and-a-half games or the one-and-a-half game that Garoppolo yeah. actually played. So, I mean, for, for the Patriots, they're looking at it like, we know what he can do. We know he, what he can do within our system. Everybody else is looking at a game and a half worth of film and trying to decide whether they think he's worth two first-round picks, which apparently is what it would take at least to get Garoppolo off of the Patriots' hands. So, um, so in that respect, yeah, I agree with you. I think you, if you know you have a quarterback who fits in your system, who can play, yeah, you keep him. And if, at the very least, you keep him until somebody gives you something that's going to blow you away. And as far as Malcolm Butler goes, this is the same exact song and dance I feel like we go through with every one of these, I want to call them heartthrob Patriots players, because, uh, but they're not really like, not, that, not in the, the teen girl dreamy heartthrob sense, but just in the <laughs> sense of like well, that too, all that Patriots too. fans are just absolutely enamored by these players. And it's like, how could the Patriots ever possibly go on without this? And it's just like every single time with these players, it was Wes Welker, Three years ago, the Patriots moved on. They were just fine. It, it's been so many corners throughout history, 
Uh, I can't even keep track of all of them. Asante Samuel, Darrell Revis, Brandon yeah. Browner. Uh, and, and Malcolm Butler, is, I mean, he's a great corner, don't get me wrong, but I look at the combination of Malcolm Butler and Stephon Gilmore, and I, I honestly, like, I see a ton of potential. I also see the potential for them to get burned really bad on some occasions. I just feel like both of those guys have that kind of high-risk, high-reward play style Gilmore is a little bit more shut down than Butler, in my opinion, but I feel like they both have that potential to get burned every now and then. So I could totally see why they wouldn't want to put all their eggs into the Malcolm Butler, Stephon Gilmore basket. At some point, you're going to, you, you can see this year what's going to happen with those two and how they're going to look. And at some point you can kind of make a decision based off of that. Yeah. It's fascinating to me because I, you know, I, I wrote an article that I refer to a lot. It was just, going back and looking how they've never really paid corners. I mean, they're happy to give a guy a one-year deal. They'll play Asante in 2007 under the franchise tag. They'll give Revis one year or whatever it was, like $12 million. Um, but, you know, you look at the other contracts they've given. I mean, I think, like, it was, I think it was a four-year, $20 million deal that they gave to Lee Bodden. might have been the biggest, you know, long-term free agent contract they'd ever – not free agent because he was, you know, had played a year in the system. But, you know – they just never have really paid corners. And then when they went out and get, got Gilmore, I think that's what was so surprising is everybody thought that money was just going to go to Butler. But, you know, it's just the Patriots doing what they do. They have leverage over Butler. It's not like Butler could, you know, orchestrate his release out of the organization without them deciding they want to let him. So they're just doing what they do and, and you know, trying to put the best team together. But, all right, we're not getting sucked on that. We, let's let's get to the draft before we end up talking about Max <laughs> Butler and Jimmy Garoppolo the whole time. Uh I really like this draft. I mean, and I mean, there were only four picks, but I thought that they were extremely strategic in terms of what they needed. And I mean, just maybe to oversimplify it a bit, I mean, they had to replace Jamie Collins and Chandler Jones, basically. I mean, those are the guys that they kind of got rid of in the last year and never really truly replaced. So I'm not going to say that, that, that rivers, uh, you know, is exactly Jamie Collins. And I'm not going to say Dietrich wise is exactly Chandler Jones, but I feel like, they're kind of corresponding and can kind of fit similar roles uh, in the defensive front seven, which, you know, as we used to talk about in 2010, when it was such a defensive specialization, you'd have, you know, it's a passing mm. down. It's a whole group of 11 guys. Oh, it's a running down. It's a whole group of 11 guys. You know, they just continue to build uh, more versatility so that they have guys who can do a number of different things. And, you know, as we saw this week, I mean, they were in, sub packages 88% of the time. I mean, when we first started talking on our podcast 2010, you know, then it was just starting to get around 60%. So, I mean, the, the, the trend has only continued of them playing majority of sub packages. So that's what you got to look at. And when you look at the linebackers last year and, 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 you know, going into this year prior to the draft where you're like, we don't really have a guy other than Hightower who can really play all three downs. I mean, you have Van Noy who came in and was kind of the coverage linebacker. Uh, you have Landon Roberts, who looks great on running downs, but neither one of those guys can really do everything. Shane McClellan, God help him. I, you know, I, I just I feel like he's just the most average player that there is. I mean, he's athletic, but he just doesn't really make an impact unless he's <laughs> jumping, over the li- jumping over the line, and he can't jump over the line anymore. Um, so there was just a definite need there to, to add some athleticism, to add some depth, and I feel like with those two picks, that's really what they targeted, and I, and I think Rivers is, is really going to be an interesting player just because he gets off the ball so fast, and I think right, in, mm. right away he steps in and he becomes that part of that kind of pure pass rush package. I agree with you 100%. I hate to sound like 
Maserati and say you're absolutely right, Mike. But you're absolutely <laughs> right, Mike. Um, but, I know. There you go. But no, I, I, I think, um, you know, I was watching just very briefly because I've done almost zero draft research. So I just looked up the the four guys the Patriots drafted real quick before the pod just so I could see, you know, what what those guys look like. And I I was just pretend. pretend. You know everything. You've been studying all the film. You know it all. You're Mel Kuyper Jr. No one's (laughs) going to question you. Don't worry. That's uh, all right. I well, I just wanted to qualify it a little bit, but based off the two <laughs> games worth of film that I watched, um, I, the first guy I watched was Dietrich Wise, and um, and I, my first impression was I wasn't blown away, but I just felt like what a quintessential Patriots defensive end, like totally yep. just. I mean, not not a real dynamic pass rusher, but. He has that bull rush that he goes to quite Brute. frequently. That's his best move. Um, he's got a good good enough first step. Um, the only problems that I saw, I mean, I, 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 liked, I liked his gap discipline too. The only problems that I saw were that sometimes he gets a little high and he can get washed out of runs. Um, and yeah. also because, because he's not super athletic, you know, if he tries to move side to side, he also gets washed out of runs really easily that way too. So, I mean, if they, I mean, they know, they'll know how to use him. I think that'll be that'll be one guy who I feel like can come in and contribute, not in a huge way right away, but he can definitely fit into that rotation. And I felt the same about Rivers after watching him. I didn't even think about him really in that Jimmy Collins role until you mentioned it. Um, like I said, I've done like next to no reading on these guys, so I don't know what his positional history is. But I, I just saw that he played defensive end, so I was just kind of projecting him out at that position. But I could see him kind of fitting into that, you know, that joker linebacker type of role where he's just moving around and doing different things. So um, he has the athleticism for it, certainly. And it's clear also that he plays like a Patriot just in terms of, like I said, the gap discipline. Um, And I feel like those are the two things that you need the most when it comes to fitting into the Patriots system right away. So those two guys, especially, I feel like they have a chance to come in and contribute. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if Rivers. I mean, I'm curious to see Rivers standing up because I, I don't. I mean, I don't think he's going to be um, quite the coverage guy that Collins is. But I, I mean, I think that you look at 2013, and you know, they kind of ease Collins in, and then all of a sudden, against the Colts, he's getting sacks, he's getting interceptions, he kind of clicks mm-hmm. for him. Um, you know, I, I don't know that he's exactly Collins, but I mean, I feel like he has that athleticism. I certainly know that he's just one of those, and I don't want to get too Mayaki here. But he, he really has a good, good – he really can set the edge. He's really got leverage. You know, you can just tell those guys who just look comfortable getting down in a three-point stance. They just, you know, they've got that great hip bend. And you can tell that he just has that power. And, and the other thing that pops is just the burst off the ball, off the snap. I mean, he just got that go, um, which is, you know, it, I mean, obviously you can find a guy that can get off the ball. You can find a spot for that kind of guy. Um, but I, I totally yeah. agree with you on Wise. I mean, he's just like that big, big, long arm, you know, not really athletic, but he almost felt to me on the spectrum like he's kind of between Seymour and Chandler. You know, he's not quite as athletic as, as Chandler Jones was. He's not going to maybe be the pass rusher that Chandler Jones was, but he's got a little bit more power. He's going to be a little more stout. And, and what I was kind of thinking is he might give you an option as an inside guy uh, in sub packages when you'd want a little run protection in the middle, but you don't want to stick Malcolm Brown out there and get, you know, little to no pass rush. You want to get some guy wise, got a little bit of athleticism, got those long arms, can kind of hold up the interior of the line and watch out for those sub runs that, that often have given the Patriots problems in the past. But 
Uh, flipping over to the other two guys, I mean, offensive tackle knew that this was a long-term need. I mean, this is always kind of how the Patriots seem to do it. They see their tackle going into the last year, as Nate Solder is. Um, they have Marcus Cannon, who they just extended again to the shock of everybody, uh, except for <laughs> some of us. Um, but, you know, Cameron Except Fleming, for anybody who knows how to Garnecki, I think. I know, right? Well, that's, that's always like, well, we can draft any offensive lineman and just sprinkle the Dante Scarnecchia magic, magic powder on them, and they will be all pros for Seriously. 10 years. <laughs> um, but you, it's, it's obvious what they're doing. And, I mean, the, the, the picks uh, that they made were two guys who were really athletic, which is, you know, what I thought they really needed yeah. the most, Antonio Garcia, Connor McDermott. Um, McDermott, now I'm going to start with McDermott just because a quick bit about him. All I can read is that he's got really skinny legs, and they're worried – you know, he's super athletic, former basketball player, no, no problems in space, but is he going to be able to anchor against a bull rush? And now I can't help, friends, but flash back to crazy legs Sean Crable, also known he of <laughs> long, skinny legs, and he was kind of the poster boy for the blog in, you know, 2010, 2011. So I'm, like, thinking, oh, my God, we might have another crazy legs here in Connor McGovern. But, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but to flip the page over to, to, to Garcia, I mean, I just – I fell in love with this guy watching him. I mean, this is my favorite time of the draft. I hate trying to sift through and find a needle in a haystack and study film on a thousand people. It's like last night, night before, my favorite nights of the draft. Give me the four guys. Let me just dive into everything they've got on the web and watch them. Um, so Garcia, just a tough guy, hasn't given up a sack in like forever, uh, really yeah. held up well. He's a small school guy, but held up well against the really good teams and you know, I watched the game against Clemson with him, which, you know, he's just, I mean, he's more than holding his own. And he's got that kind of salty attitude uh, that, that, you know, we always love with Mankins and that kind of mauler attitude. So um, I think these are great picks for the long term, you know, especially Garcia, who seems like he should probably win that swing tackle spot this year over Cameron Fleming just because of his athleticism. Um, but what did you think of the two picks in your, uh, in your extensive draft research on these two guys that have been <laughs> for the last three years? Yes, my hours and hours of draft research. I've been scouting these two since high school. Um, no, I, um, I I did get to watch Garcia. I admittedly did not get to watch McDermott, but um, but I did do some reading up on him. Uh, Garcia, I mean, when I think about the problems that the Patriots have had at offensive tackle over the years, the biggest one to me is that sometimes they just don't handle speed well. Like, I mean, Nate Solder, yeah. as big as he is, he can reroute guys around the edge. But Vaughn Miller, I feel like, is his worst nightmare sometimes. Like, I feel like that's just the one that gets him. I mean, obviously, Miller, when he gets matched up against Marcus Cannon, it's a little bit different. But um, as far as Nate Solder goes, you know, I feel like if they're going to replace Solder at some point, they need to do it with somebody who has a little bit more quickness. Um and I think that I think he obviously has that. He's he's just got that um, that foot speed that you need to to keep guys from getting around the corner. Um, and McDermott, yeah, I agree with you. I feel like another guy who you know very very light, very quick footed. Um, you know, he might they might want him to try to put on a little weight um, to anchor a little bit better. And the same could probably be said for Garcia, but. I feel like, you know, it's clear to me that they realize that they need a little bit more quickness at the offensive tackle spot, um, at least in terms of the, in terms of the depth, just, you know, if, cause if, if Nate Solder and, and um, 
and Marcus Cannon are struggling with, with speed rushers, at least now you have somebody on the bench that you could put in and give them a shot and, and you know, at, at least throw a little bit of a change-up, I guess. Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, if there were two huge needs, I would say, in the draft, it was, you know, generalized athleticism in the front seven, athleticism at the tackle positions, and, and they strategically nailed both those. Um, so I think they really filled some needs. But, you know, for me, it still remains a wee bit scary thinking about if Dante Hightower goes down, if there was a, a weakness of this team that I'm kind of like, yeah, about, you know, because, you know, let's face it, he's, he's, he's you know, had plenty of injuries over the last couple of years. He's probably good to miss at least a couple of games. Uh, you know, he just always seems to get beat up over the course of the season. You know, where you look just about everywhere else, it's like, well, we, you know, they've got pretty good depth everywhere. But if there's one thing that scares me, it's thinking about the Shea McClellan, Kyle Van Noy, throw Derek Rivers into the fire kind of linebacking core, you know, in meaningful yeah. games, especially, you know, some of the teams they have on the schedule this year that could really uh, challenge them. Yeah, definitely. I think there were a, a few needs that the Patriots didn't come away with anybody in the draft. Um, I feel like the backup tight end spot was one area where, you know, some a lot of Patriots fans were feeling like they might want to add somebody. Uh, they didn't do that. They did. They did sign somebody as an undrafted free agent. The name is slipping my mind. Um, and they also signed a linebacker. So they got, they did show yeah. some depth. So I feel like they have some depth there now. But I'm like you said. You know, it's one of those situations where, you know, you you look at the names on the depth chart. You don't really feel a whole lot of confidence. And you've obviously seen some some flashes from Kyle Van Noy, but you don't want to necessarily throw him right into the fire, like you said. So I do think that that's one spot where I, I would have a little concern headed into the next season. They also, um, one spot that I felt like they, like they might have needed to add that they didn't was at safety, but they did sign two guys there as well. So just another, yep. going back to what you said, that if the Patriots are, uh, are the kings of using every facet of the offseason to add players, you know, the, the undrafted free agency, their signings since that kicked off have, at least if these signings are confirmed and hold true, um, you know, that it, it looks like they're off to a pretty good start in filling some of those needs that they did not address uh, in the seven rounds of the draft. Yeah, they did, uh, they did trade for James O'Shaughnessy from the Chiefs, who's, who is a move tight end, which uh, it seems like they've rounded uh, out. Yep. Jacob Hollister is the, uh, is the undrafted guy who, I mean, Belichick signs a pair of twins. I mean, that's just, it, it never ceases to amaze me, all the little twists and turns that he always <laughs> takes. Um, a couple other notable uh, rookie free agents that they signed, uh, Austin Carr, who, you know, was Big Ten receiver of the year, tall slot guy, kind of interesting, log jammer receiver, but, you know, he's one of those guys you know they like, and he's got good size. Harvey, I believe you say his last name, Longy. Um, out of BYU was another guy connected the Patriots a lot linebacker off the ball kind of guy missed cast this year at defensive end Um, the twins you know they rounded out everything Uh, LaShawn Daniels out of Iowa was a running back who had 10 touchdowns Um, you know so one of these guys probably going to make the team Um, and oh shit we only got two minutes left friends so I'll give you some final comments uh, just overall on the draft and uh, what you're looking forward to coming to training camp yeah, overall in the draft, I thought, I mean, my, my big picture takeaway was the, the volume approach. It's, it's an approach they've kind of gone back to time and time again where 
They know they have a very specific need. You alluded to the need for athleticism in both the front seven and on the offensive line at, at tackle. And, you know, they added two guys at both of those spots. Um, you're, you're, and, and when you're doing that, you're hoping that at least one of them works out. You're not necessarily betting that both of them are going to work out, but it's just a numbers game. And that's what Belichick has done better than any other team uh, in the draft in, in his entire career with the Patriots, which is why they've been so successful in that respect. Um, and that's, I mean, that's just an approach that has been tried and true over the years. And, and obviously they realize that it works and they continue to go to it. Well, it should be an exciting summer. And uh, as, as I have alluded to, as friends mentioned, I am in fact moving back to Boston and uh, am hoping to expand the past propaganda Patriots coverage a little bit. So that should mean more podcasts with Mr. Friends as well. So, friends, I hope this uh, you know got got your appetite for it back, got you you know a little more invested again. And uh, you know next time, yeah, absolutely. we'll be uh, we'll be ready to jump back into it. Next time, I'll be a little bit more invested than putting in five minutes of draft research before the podcast starts. How's that sound? Well, I kind of like it that way just because so many people take the draft so seriously and it's just like the ultimate uh, crap shoot. No and, <laughs> Honestly, and my like, favorite is the I people who like yell at you. I tweeted this before the draft. I tweeted this draft. This is the one weekend that I am the most glad that I did not have to work as no longer being a Patriots writer. <laughs> I hate covering the draft. My absolute uh, favorite. Well, it's all over. Patriots got a bunch of new picks, and uh, and yeah, we're off now until mini camps, and then we'll see you at training camp in July. So, just want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in with us after our long year plus hiatus, and uh, and hopefully we'll be back soon. This is Mike Dusso, PatsPropaganda.com, signing off. Friends, I'll let you take us out. <laughs> Eric, friends, thanks guys for listening. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>